Hello, everyone. Welcome to Conversations with the Co-op. This is where we source questions from the Index Co-op community to gain insights from today's leaders in crypto and DeFi. I am your host, Crypto Texan, and today we have with us Alan from Beta Finance. Alan, thanks for being here with us today. Thanks for having me here, Crypto Texan. I'm really excited to speak today. Yeah, and there's a lot of news going on right now uh, between Index Co-op and Beta Finance, a partnership that we've developed. So we'll get into that in a little bit. But first, just want to do a little background on you, Alan. How did you get into crypto? And when did you get started building Beta Finance as well? Yeah, so sorry if there's like a little bit of a delay. I think my Wi-Fi is a bit spotty. But in terms of what you asked was, if I heard you correctly, it's when did I get into crypto and when did I start beta finance? That's yes, that's correct. Yeah. So my first exposure to crypto is actually in 2018, when one of the classes offered at the university I was at was a decentralized systems course, and it was the first kind of class that talked about blockchain ever at the university. And so it kind of like piqued my interest, and I dove into the class, which was really the small, tight-knit group of about 10 students that just went over a bunch of research papers about blockchain and decentralized systems. And I also had my first exposure to building a dApp through that class, actually, which was using block stacks or as it's referred to as stacks now. And so that's like building a dApp on the Bitcoin blockchain. However, the documentation back then was like much, much, much worse than it is right now. So it was a bit of a painful experience. And then from that, I kind of got more exposure into blockchain development, learned more about like smart contract developments. And then kind of when DeFi summer rolled around, things started like really picking up in the space and a lot of innovation was happening really rapidly. And as I saw the kind of huge influx of new users and capital, I realized that there were a lot of gaps that were still missing in terms of the DeFi infrastructure. And so I thought that in order to really achieve this like ethos that we all have in DeFi, which is open finance for all and making financial tools accessible to everyone around the world, I... I believe that there needed to be like new financial tools developed and better financial tools to give people accessibility to things such as like short selling and being able to hedge their positions and trading in crypto DeFi natively and on chain rather than having to rely on centralized exchanges as I saw a lot of people doing so before. And so starting beta finance was actually a pain point that experience in particular because when we were kind of in a mini bear market after the huge bull run in the late summer, um, I wanted to be able to like short some crypto on chain to kind of hedge my positions. But the process for doing so was this like very tedious, complex process of having to interact with multiple protocols and required some like technical knowledge in order to execute effectively. And unsurprisingly, I actually just kept on losing money because it was such a complicated process. And that's kind of what gave me the inspiration to start Beta Finance, which was to kind of enable people to short sell crypto on-chain very easily, and also for them to be able to short the long tail of assets. Since as we see right now, most of the assets that are available for people to hedge with are only more mature assets that are listed on centralized exchanges. And so it's been about like, almost coming up on a year since when I first started planning Yao and working on the idea for beta. 
Yeah, thanks for that background, Alan. So let's get in just like a little bit more basic detail for some of our listeners. And you touched on it a little bit, but you know, what is short selling and how does that work in, I guess, a, a traditional market sense, like maybe on a, a sex uh, or a centralized exchange? And then how does it work with beta finance? Yeah, so short selling is essentially borrowing a token or a crypto asset at a certain price and saying that you're going to pay some amount of interest on it to the lender. And then instead of holding on to this token when you borrow it, you immediately sell it um, on the market. And this could be, for example, for a stable coin like USDT or some other token that you want to hold long like ETH or RAT Bitcoin. And so this allows you to essentially speculate or hedge against your existing positions by selling at a premium where you believe the token is currently overvalued and buying back at a later date when the token is more reasonably valued. And so you're able to kind of like pocket that premium between the price that you sold at, which is the overvaluation, and the price that you bought back at, which is the more reasonable price. And so this helps counteract some of the volatility we see in the market by preventing this scenario where it's kind of like up only for the token price, followed by like a fire sale as people panic and kind of try to liquidate as fast as possible such that they're not being they're not holding the token down to zero, for example. And so on centralized exchanges, what that looks like right now is uh, you're able to like lend out this token or market token for lending that you're holding on the, your account on the exchange. And then other traders um, on that exchange are able to short sell this asset by paying a certain interest rate. Maybe that looks like a funding rate, which like dynamically adjusts every hour. In contrast, on on chain, what that process looks for, like shorting a token before beta finance, is that you had to go to a money market, find a money market that had the token that you wanted shorted, say like the Chainlink token, so go to Compound. And then you borrow that token from Chainlink by posting collateral, go to a decentralized exchange like Uniswap to swap um, the link token to something that you're holding long, maybe like USCC, manage these positions manually in some sort of like Google spreadsheet, keeping track of the fluctuating prices, the variable APY, how much interest you need to pay back, decide when you want to close that position, and then execute the DEX swap back to the underlying token that you borrowed, in this case, link, and then repay your debt on the money market protocol. And so... This was like an eight-step process, required a lot of manual labor, and was also not atomic, meaning that you had to execute multiple different transactions in order for you to successfully open and close a position. And so this just causes a lot of time delay, which could lead to greater price impact and like slippage in comparison to what you had wanted when you first initiated the position. And so our goal with beta finance was to kind of like do things twofold. To first abstract away the complex process on-chain and make it as simple as just clicking one button for users to short sell, and also to enable people to have access to more variety of tokens that they can um, hedge with or short sell. Because as you can imagine right now with, say, Compound or Aave, because they're focused on this like borrowing and lending model, they are much more risk-averse to listing assets. And so Compound only has about a dozen assets right now, and Aave has about like two to three dozen right now. 
But you can imagine there are over a thousand actively traded pairs on Uniswap, and new tokens are being listed almost every day. And so if we want to be able to keep up with the scale at which DeFi is growing, I believe that we had to create a new solution that was optimized for this particular problem that I saw. And so that's why I created Beta Finance. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you've basically saw a need that isn't being serviced in the market and you created beta finance to service that need, essentially. And, it, you know, it feels like a good fit for the market, in my opinion. So I guess, uh, can you just kind of walk me through the steps real quick? Like, let's say me, Crypto Texan, I've got, you know, I've got some ETH that I want to short. What, how do I interact with beta finance directly? Yeah, so in contrast to what you know on like Compound and Aave, where you have to lend in order to borrow in the first place, on Beta, you don't have to be a lender of any token in order to like short or borrow. So we use something called like an isolated collateral model, which enables us to take on greater risk. And so you can kind of think of this as like limited liability, where if you have like five ETH allocated to shorting, say ETH, I'm sorry, 5,000 USDC allocated to shorting ETH and 5,000 USDC allocated to shorting Bitcoin, then if, say, ETH pumps and you're at risk of liquidation, only the 5,000 USDC associated with the ETH position is at risk. Your 5,000 USDC associated with wrapped Bitcoin is completely safe. And so to kind of go more into detail about what you asked with, how does this actually look like? Now you have some background. All that's needed for you to do is you go onto our DAP, find the money market that you're interested in shorting, in this case ETH, click the short button, and you're taken to our UI, which includes a price graph, um, metrics about the impact, slippage, um, what decks you're swapping through, etc. And then all you have to do is just enter in the amount you want to short, put up the necessary collateral, and just hit a button. And then your position will be initiated. Yeah, it seems like a much smoother and easier process than, I guess, traditionally working with Aave or Compound and using those, I guess, pooled collateral models. So, you know, you you mentioned isolated collateral pools uh, as well. Can you go into the difference for our listeners on, you know, what is, you know, what are isolated collateral pools at what's the alternative and how, you kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier about limited liability, but can you go into a little bit more detail of why that is beneficial, not only to the protocol, but to the user as well? Yeah, for sure. Um, so what isolated collateral means is that whenever you initiate a borrow or short position, you have to sp- explicitly say how much collateral you're using for that position. And that way the protocol knows exactly how much you're liable for if one of your positions go underwater. And so every position is isolated from each other. So say you have positions for like ETH, Bitcoin, Uni, Sushi, Link, they're all independent. The impact of one market has no effect on other markets. And this is in contrast to say like an isolated pool model, which is what Rari Fuse uses. And so what they do is essentially allow users to create multiple kind of like isolated compound lending pools. But if you're interacting with one of these isolated pools still, there's still like impact between tokens within that pool. So say you have like the Ohm token as well as Link token that are in the same pool. 
if suddenly OM is at risk, your OM token is at risk of liquidation, then that can also impact the link position that you have as well. And so while there is like isolation between different pools on Rari Fuse, there's not the granular isolation within the pool. And so the reason why this is an important thing to remember is because when you're interacting with more long tail assets, the volatility of the token is like much greater. So the liquidation risk is much higher as well. And so instead of potentially having like a cascade of liquidations due to the increased volatility risk on beta finance, that volatility risk is isolated to the token that is experiencing high volatility at the time, rather than like all the tokens that are um, available in that pool or on the on the protocol. Yeah, and I think a lot of people think that shorting an asset is really just betting against that asset, which in a sense it, it is. But also uh, shorting is good for the overall health of the ecosystem as well, right? I think it uh, prevents over-speculation of certain assets. Can you speak on how shorting ties into a healthy economy and how beta is helping to provide that health? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think this is also something that's pretty commonly misunderstood. Um, I think it's also because a lot of people that are interacting with like DeFi right now, this is kind of their first exposure to the financial system or like financial infrastructure because a lot of users don't have access to that financial infrastructure in their like own countries. And so they're kind of just seeing like, oh, I'm like investing in this asset, but they don't really understand yet um, how to like manage their risk correctly to kind of like minimize um, their potential losses and maximize their potential gains as well. And so, for example, instead of just saying, hey, I'm going to speculate on the price dropping, you can also say that, hey, I'm going to say, like, perform this trade and ensure that my downside risk is limited to only, say, like, 5% of my portfolio. And so one of the interesting, like, hedging strategies you can use is, say, going, like, delta neutral, for example, like, right now. There's a lot of protocols that like offer yield farming on tokens by saying like staking ETH or like staking um, other popular tokens that are also listed on beta finance. What you can do is you can purchase this ETH, stake it, but also go short on ETH on beta finance. And what this allows you to do is not have any exposure to the price volatility of ETH, but you still gain all that yield from your yield farming um, with ETH kind of risk-free and all you have to do is just pay the like borrow interest rate um on your ETH position in order to say execute this kind of strategy and so there are a lot of like new interesting financial products that can now be built on chain if we have a robust like short selling infrastructure as well and in addition in terms of like counteracting volatility what short selling allows users to do is also take the opposite side of a trade earlier on in terms of the price action of a token. So say a token has pumped from like $1 to $100. That's like 100x. And this is because there's no short selling involved. So people kind of are only able to buy it or fire sale it. But instead, right now, if 
you're able to short sell this token, then you can take corrective measures early on, say when it's like $30, $40. And now there's like more pressure against this like up only mentality, which helps the token sustain a healthier growth over time rather than a huge pump and dump. Because we see that if tokens dump very hard early on, it's very hard for them to recover um, in the long term, even though the technology and product itself might be very impactful and innovative. And so we kind of see ourselves as trying to contribute to the ecosystem on these two fronts by enabling like greater strategies um, for traders as well as investors and on DeFi and on-chain, and as well as like trying to make the ecosystem grow at a healthier rate that is sustainable long-term rather than having these like pump and dump schemes as um, has been the case this past year. Yeah, that's interesting. You definitely touched on some strategies that I haven't personally thought of where you're taking both sides of an asset in order to just, you know, get basically risk-free or I guess volatility-free returns on staking. Uh, That's something I haven't really thought about, which is, pretty interesting and a nice little primitive that we could probably build on top of as DeFi money Legos. Um, but let's talk about the liquidation process uh, with Beta now. How does that liquidation process currently work? Yeah, so it's very similar to how other money market protocols function, um, where a user will at most be liquidated for half of their position if their like, loan-to-value ratio of their borrow token to the collateral value exceeds a certain threshold. And so right now we have our own internal bot that monitors the protocol for liquidations. And we've also worked with like a few kind of like independent liquidator operators that have liquidation bots running for like compound, Aave, Fuse, et cetera, in order to maintain the health of the protocol and make sure that positions do not, or sorry, that the protocol does not go underwater with unpaid debt. Okay, interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, So what type of assets are available for users to short right now? And and you said it's permissionless. And and also, how does a user, I guess, create our own permissionless pool to short an asset? Yes, that's a good question. So right now we have about, I believe, 20 or so markets listed right now. And so we have popular tokens like the stablecoins, Ethereum, Bitcoin, Uni, Sushi. But we also have like less popular tokens, like for example, like the ENS token for the Ethereum name service or like NFT, which is a fractionalized NFT token. And so these new tokens that were kind of created recently are not listed on any other protocol on any other money market protocol for lending, borrowing, shorting, et cetera. And the reason that they were able to be listed on beta finance in the first place is because we have this, as you mentioned, permissionless listing feature. And what this enables users to do is, um, if there is a Uniswap B3 ETH pool for that token, then you can create a money market for that token on beta finance permissionlessly and automatically. And users from anywhere can start interacting with that market to lend, to earn yield, borrow, to leverage up, or say like short to like hedge or speculate on the price. And so if you wanted to create a money market on beta finance right now, 
all you would have to do is enter in the address of the token in the search bar on the markets page, and then you'll be able to pull up to the UI, which will walk you through the three easy steps that are needed in order to create the new market on beta finance. Interesting. Okay. And so gas fees have obviously been a huge topic of conversation. Are there any plans for beta finance? Are, are you on any layer twos or EVM compatible side chains right now? Do you have plans to deploy elsewhere? Yeah, for sure. I, gas fees have been a huge pain this past year, especially. Um, when I had first started building, they weren't nearly as bad as they were now. So like interacting with DeFi apps on Ethereum was still very much attainable for the average user. But right now with gas like spiking to like an average of 150 Gway and the price of Ethereum at like an all-time high right now, it's really priced out, I would say like most users on Ethereum, which leads to problems of like usage being restricted to uh, people with lots of capital. And this isn't something that I think is necessarily good for the future of DeFi, which is why I'm actively looking into L2 solutions and EVM sidechains right now. In particular, I'm very excited about like layer two solutions because I see them as like still having the same strong composability that Ethereum has right now, but being able to offer users the ability to interact with DeFi apps at fraction of the price and make it more easily accessible to, say, your average user of DeFi. But this doesn't mean that I'm also looking at other EVM sidechains, such as like Avalanche or like BSC as well. I think these sidechains especially have like a huge amount of growth and a huge user base that I think is important for us to reach as well. Like I know Binance just launched like a 1 billion funding vehicle for BSC development. And Avalanche also has their like Avalanche Rush incentives to further growth on their chain as well. And so I think that in order to really accomplish my goal of bringing essential tooling and infrastructure in DeFi to as many users as possible, it's really necessary for beta finance to also scale to these other side chains and layer two solutions um, in order to reach as many users as possible. And so while we aren't on these um, other solutions right now, we will be coming to them soon. Yeah, and you know, it's just been a huge topic of conversation lately. Um, Ethereum's high gas fees and L2s. Um, where do you see, and there's kind of this thought of in the future, maybe Ethereum's mainnet there will be no actually human users there. It'll just be protocols and layer twos just kind of batching transactions to the security of Ethereum's mainnet. Is that kind of the view you see for the future? And I guess, where do you see layer twos and, and EVMs just playing into the picture as just a whole, just in general? I hope that's not the future where it's just bots interacting on Ethereum. But if we don't, take measures to kind of decrease the barrier of entry in terms of cost to like interacting with Ethereum, then potentially that is the future that we're heading towards where only we'll see people with like six-figure, seven-figure net worths being able to interact with, on, with Ethereum. But 
with what I've seen with development from the Ethereum Foundation as well as like the ETH community, um, is that this is not the case, and that we will be able to bring um, innovative solutions uh, to Ethereum, such as like with ETH 2.0 or maybe in the future like ETH 3.0. Eventually, we'll be able to solve this problem of like high gas fees for users, and I think. These layer two solutions are a really important piece um, of the Ethereum ecosystem because it's not like saying, oh, if you're interacting with layer two, then you like never need to interact with layer one anymore because layer one still like offers a lot of advantages, still like stronger security guarantees, like a lot of DApps are still mainly on L1s and not on L2s. A lot of capital is still like locked in Ethereum and it's like sticky currently. So I still do see people interacting with L1 in the future, just because like there's a lot of capital and a lot of liquidity there. But I think the growth of L2s will be a positive impact to kind of drive further growth and further adoption of DeFi overall. And that's kind of like the future that I'm hoping for right now. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree with you. Uh, and does Beta Finance have a strategy to? maybe reach out to any more non-crypto natives? Or I guess, what do you think is the best strategy for, I guess, just the crypto and DeFi ecosystem as a whole, just the best way for us to reach out to more non-crypto natives and, and onboard them into the ecosystems? Yeah, that's one of our big goals as well, is to really help people better understand that DeFi isn't, isn't like scary. It's like something that people can interact with easily. It's honestly like a much better experience than like interacting with um, the traditional finance system, which is kind of like hidden behind a veil. Whereas in DeFi, it's like an open book, like everything's on chain, everything is visible and transparent. And I think a lot of it stems from kind of the like lack of good user experience in the space because most like before people were kind of trying to understand what are kind of the financial Lego blocks that could be built. But as these financial Lego blocks are built, it's important that we build better experiences for users to interact with these protocols. And that's kind of what we accomplished here with this like short selling product, because underneath the hood, we have written our own money market protocol, but we've abstracted away a lot of the like complex details and like technical knowledge required for users so that all they really need to know is that they can enter buttons. Or they just like need to enter numbers and click a simple button without having to understand what's happening under the hood. And so I think like innovating in terms of like user experience is one front that like really contributes to like the adoption of DeFi by like people who have not been exposed to crypto yet. And then in terms of like outreach, one of the things that we've been doing actively is creating a lot of like educational materials around like how to interact with like DeFi products, going on like live streams and like podcasts with popular like educational influencers in order to further help the crypto community and the larger uh, community as a whole just like understand what are kind of like important basics to know when interacting with DeFi. 
And of course, we're also trying to like reach out more through like social channels as well um, in order to reach new users. And one last thing that Beta Finance did in particular is we took on a traditional investor to our cap table, which was Sequoia. And our main goal with getting one of our goals with um, having Sequoia as one of our advisors is to kind of bridge DeFi into the traditional tech world because they have a lot of network in traditional media outlets, traditional tech companies, traditional user channels. And we're trying to like tap that in order to onboard new people into DeFi and crypto. Yeah. And do you have any idea of what the current makeup of your users is? Like it's something that we've tried to do at the NX Co-op is just try uh-huh. to identify like a user profile for who's using or purchasing our products. Have y'all tried to investigate that at all? And have you had any success? Yeah, so I've done some on-chain analysis about like who are the accounts that are interacting with our prof- protocol, like how big of a size are they interacting with, like what is their transaction history on-chain. And so aside from like knowing how active they are in DeFi and like how much capital they're moving around, we don't have too much information about like what their like background is in terms of like demographic and things like that. But what I found is that maybe like this is due to like high gas fees as well, is that most of our users are DeFi users that have had long transaction histories. So on the range of like eight months to like three years. And then in addition to this, most people are moving capital around like five to six figures usually. And this is the kind of like size and behavior that we're seeing on the protocol right now. So it's mostly experienced DeFi users that are using DeFi beta finance right now. But we're hoping when we launch onto another chain, um, whether it's like a side chain or a layer two solution, that we'll start seeing some smaller retail users pick up usage with beta finance again. Yeah, that makes yeah, that makes sense. I think that I don't know. I feel like if there is a user who is going to utilize beta finance, you know, especially in early stages, uh, one, they're going to be pretty in tune to the DeFi ecosystem, which would make you think that they are maybe not an OG, but they've been in the space for a pretty long time. And, you know, interacting on Ethereum in general, you know, high gas fees. And then also just the ability to wrap your head around shorting, I think, is something that comes with a little bit more of a seasoned uh, DeFi user. So I, I think kind of what you said makes perfect sense to me of, you know, the type of user that you've identified that's using your protocol to date, at least. So let's talk about some partnerships that Beta Finance has. What, you know, I feel like that's a great way for a community or a new protocol to kind of bootstrap itself and kind of make itself known is through partnerships with different protocols and other DAOs. I know that the NX Co-op, obviously, and Beta Finance now has a, a partnership. Do you want to kind of just talk about what partnerships that you have implemented in beta finance over the past several months, and then we can talk a little bit more in detail about the uh, index co-op one. Yeah, for sure. Um, so beta finance has been out for about coming on to like three and uh, about like three months now, just a little bit over three months actually. 
And so from this, we've actually partnered with like Alpha Finance. We had like some initial partnerships at launch with a lot of our verified markets like Sushi, Bancor, etc. And these partnerships were mainly to kind of get the word out about beta finance initially. But as we've like been building out the protocol, we've been like looking for deeper partnerships. And so Index Co-op is actually one of our first like deeper partnerships that we pursued in terms of like listing interesting assets that we think our users and DeFi users in general would find really powerful to like interact with. Because like index tokens, for example, are kind of trying to accomplish one of the goals that is similar to what we're trying to do, which is to give investors the ability to kind of like counter volatility or like manage their risk better. And so I know like I knew like index tokens are kind of like tokens that you guys have structured in order to give people exposure to a lot of different assets at the same time while decreasing the amount of risk that they're exposed to when investing in these assets. And so with this partnership, we're thinking about like trying to launch interesting trading strategies that people could interact with when like hedging with index tokens, for example. And so this is our main partnership so far, but we've also had like a smaller partnership where we kind of worked with Cryptopathic a little bit to kind of drive usage of the NFT money market, which was a fractionalized NFT token that he had created. And so this was actually kind of the first way that you could shorten NFT like ever um, in DeFi. Like you, you couldn't short NFT tokens on perp yet. You couldn't borrow NFTs and like sell them elsewhere. So that was like an exciting partnership that we had launched in late August as well. Yeah, we're obviously very excited about the partnership between Beta and IndexCoop. And so with this new partnership, uh, Beta Finance is launching uh, DeFi Pulse Index, Metaverse Index, the Bankless Bed Index, and then ETH 2X Fly markets. Can you just kind of go into some detail of like what type of strategies could could people potentially utilize with shorting a DPI MVI bed, ETH 2X fly? And, you know, because one that I kind of think of is like something maybe a little more creative is, you know, let's say you're you're bullish on Aave uh, compared to the rest of DPI. Is there a way that you could just, I guess, purchase Aave short DPI and that way you're kind of getting the upside of DPI and even more upside with Aave uh, in the short or long term, I guess? Or just what kind of strategies do you foresee people utilizing uh, with these index products? Yeah, so let's talk about the MVI token, for example. So the MVI token isn't listed anywhere else um, on any other protocol right now. And Beta is actually going to be the first money market protocol to list MVI. And so this past month, we've seen kind of a huge interest um, in the metaverse. Uh, like, for example, like people are interested in investing in like the Alluvium token, the Sand token, um, the Axie Infinity, just to like name a few. And all these three of these tokens and more are in the metaverse index token. And so if, say, you want to get some like exposure to like the metaverse trend, but don't know what to do, then you can say, like, buy the MV MVI token. But now that you have this MVI token, 
Like you want to say, for example, earn additional yield on your token, right? And what you can do is you can go to Beta Finance now and lend MVI out so that people can like borrow the token or say like short sell the token. And so now to get into another interesting strategy is like if you have exposure to one of these tokens that's in, included in the MVI index already, like Alluvium, Sand, Axios, etc. Now you can hedge against your your sand token position by like shorting MVI. And so this kind of gives you like a little bit of a more stable exposure to sand. Like say if like sand crashes, then kind of like a lot of your loss is mitigated because the MVI token will also go down. And so you'll be able to pocket some premium there. But if like sand like goes up, then your upside is also not as much but you've limited your downside at the same time. So this kind of comes down to like, what is your risk profile? And like, what is the kind of range of like gain and loss that you're comfortable with? Another thing that you can do is that like, instead of having to say like, short multiple tokens individually, because that's, you own multiple tokens, like Bitcoin, ETH, DPI already, you can instead just like short the bad token. And this enables you to save not only on gas costs, but also on the complexity of managing multiple positions. Because Fed, I believe, is like an evenly weighted portfolio of Bitcoin, ETH, and DPI. So if you short Fed token, you're essentially shorting equal amounts of the three tokens that compose compose Fed. And so this also like simplifies the process for users even more um, when trying to execute like hedging strategies or like trades that they're interested in. And then ETH2X FLI is also really cool because it's like a leveraged product. And so now instead of having to like say compound your like short position, we can now easily just take on a leveraged downside short position without having to worry about compounding collateralization or like compounding interest rates and other things like that. And so I think these are just some of the few like interesting ways that we can kind of leverage index co-ops characteristics for these tokens, as well as beta finance's capabilities in order to bring new usage and new opportunities for users to interact with DeFi. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, I, you're definitely providing an additional layer or just a new money Lego for others to build upon as well. And this this starting to feel like a new primitive to me, uh, at least. So do you have, or are there any other protocols or competitors out there that are doing something similar that you're aware of? I mean, I know you mentioned Ave and Compound and even Rari a little bit, but I, I feel like they don't have this ease of, of shorting. Is this, I mean, how have you been able to differentiate yourself from those? And do you see any other competitors popping up um, just in the ecosystem in general? Yeah. So I would say our competitors include like Compound, Ave, Rari Fuse, and Sushi's Kashi Lending. But I think Beta is quite differentiated from these other protocols because all of these other money market protocols are primarily focused on enabling lending and borrowing and trying to make it as efficient as possible to like lend and borrow tokens. And so we're seeing that 
with these like with the models they use they enable like cross collateralization which while is good for lending and borrowing it's kind of bad for enabling like short selling because it exposes like too much risk to volatile assets and prevents them from really enabling people to like share like short tokens and like short the long tail of assets so for example like compound and avia as i mentioned earlier aren't able to list the vast majority of assets due to how volatile they are and then Rari Fuse has isolated pools and like permission listing of pools, but there's a fragmentation of liquidity with these pools. So there could be like the same token in multiple different pools. And when lenders are trying to decide like where they should lend, they might choose one over another and that leads to fragmented liquidity. Whereas on beta, we only have one lending pool, so there's no fragmentation of liquidity. And then Sushi's Kashi also like suffers from a similar pro- problem of fragmented liquidity to Rari's Fuse because of their isolated pair model. And so to give you some background, Sushi Kashi essentially allows users to create token pairs for, me- for many different tokens to like list assets more aggressively. But you can imagine that you have multiple of the same token, like a USDC ETH pair, a USDC Uni pair, a USDC Sushi pair. And each of these has to have USDC put into that pair specifically, leading to like fragmentation of the liquidity of like USDC across like different markets. And so you can apply this problem to like other like long tail asset tokens that are on Sushi's Kashi, which again result in like fragments of liquidity and users not really being able to execute like size of, or users not being really able to execute large positions when say like shorting a token or like borrowing a token either. And we kind of see Bit of Finance coming to this space by really building a protocol that is like optimized for listing the long tail of assets for lending, borrowing, and shorting. And in addition, we see ourselves as kind of building these like financial Legos, as you mentioned, in order to build additional like product off of these financial Legos, additional products that Beta Finance is interested in building on top of our existing protocol, like a Delta Neutral Farming product or like a basis trading product. So to explain a little bit about basis trading, it requires like interaction between like a perpetuals um, protocol, a perpetuals contracts protocol, like say like per protocol and like a spot protocol like Beta Finance. And so these kind of like interesting strategies are kind of like an area we see ourselves like growing into and further like differentiating our product from existing lending and borrowing players in the space right now. Yeah, and let's stay on permissionless or permissionless listings uh, for a little bit. Why do you feel that permissionless listings is important? And are there any risks or shortfalls that come with permissionless listings? Uh, just kind of thinking about, you know, the Rari. I think they had an exploit uh, a month ago or two months ago, and I and then Cream also had an exploit uh, about a month ago. Just kind of want to get your thoughts on those exploits because I feel like those two protocols, they do offer permissionless listings uh, very much more so than like an Ave or a Compound. And just kind of want to get your thoughts on like why do you feel that's important and what are some of the risks and shortfalls that can come with that potentially? 
Yeah, I think permissionless listening is important because, like, just as there's like a, a like Uniswap pair for every token, we believe that there should also be like a money market for every token that enables people to like lend these assets out to make them more productive, as well as like allow people to like borrow or borrow these tokens to either like leverage up or to like short sell as well, but. There are, of course, like a lot of risks that come with like listing assets permissionlessly that we need to be careful about, especially if we are listing assets as collateral, which is what Cream and Rari kind of enable with the, their like permissionless pools um, for use, as well as like the more aggressive like listing model Cream has, which isn't exactly permissionless, but they essentially just like. We're like, hey, we're going to take like compounds model and like be a bit more aggressive and see how that plays out. Um, and this is because like there's still a lot of problems around like how you determine what is the accurate price for a token that is listed as collateral. And so if there's like a chain link or like band protocol oracle for a whitelisted collateral asset, then it's kind of safer to have it as collateral because you are able to more accurately, accurately um, read and know the price of the token that you're using as collateral. But say if it's like a permissionally listed collateral, then there are some problems involved where like, what is the like price oracle you're using? Is it like a Uniswap TWAP or is it like some other like decentralized oracle? And then you have to think about like how do you make it such that you're ensuring the price oracle is manipulation resistant, which is quite difficult to do, as we've seen from the recent Rari fuse and cream finance exploits. And so the way beta kind of prevents this is like even though we enable permissionless listing, this permissionless listing is for just creating the market for lending, borrowing, and shorting. It doesn't mean that you're able to use these these markets that are permissionally listed as collateral, and the process for like onboarding new collateral is still like similar to like the process of listing an asset on say like Aave or Compound, where we do like a robust analysis of the risk involved, whether or not it's like safe, what are the potential like attack vectors if we use this token as collateral. And so this helps us like mitigate the same exploits that we saw on Rari Fuse and Cream Finance from happening with Beta. Wow, yeah, thanks for sharing your thoughts on that. Um, I think what you said does make a lot of sense. Yeah, it, they, it is very different in the sense of when you're shorting versus you know collateralizing those assets like with Cream or, or with Rari. So yeah, that makes sense. So looks like we've got about nine minutes left. What other protocols or projects out in the ecosystem right now are kind of catching your eye as a founder? Like, what are some protocols that kind of make you step back and think, oh, yeah, that's that's a good idea or, or just anything in general that you're kind of that's catching your eye lately? Mm-hmm. So this might be because I've been looking at kind of other solutions that beta can scale to you. But some of the projects that I've been interested in are these projects that allow EVM-compatible like developments on other chains. So like recently, there was like 
Polkadot's like parachain auctions where a call network recently won. And so now you're able to launch EVM uh, based applications on the Polkadot network, for example. And then in addition to this, Solana also has something similar, which is called Neon. So I was saying how like Neon is like interesting because it's trying to bring like EVM compatible application developments um, to the Solana chain. And so I think these projects that are trying to bring more like cross-chain interoperability into like DeFi as a whole are really interesting because now we're not really like limited to say like only being able to be used on Ethereum, but now we can like take advantage of what these other chains have to offer in terms of like their usage as well as the like communities as well. So yeah, I mean, th- this is kind of uh, the end. That's all the questions we had here. Uh, so I just kind of want to give you the floor. Like, is there anything else that you know you wanted to touch on before uh, we head out? Yeah, I wanted to say that I want to add that like we have there's we we're going to like publish um, some more like educational materials about um, how users can like interact with like index tokens as well as like how they can interact with beta finance and these index tokens. So be sure to like follow our socials in order to be on the lookout for that. And so it's at beta underscore finance on Twitter. And and uh, you can find our socials on our Twitter account through our link tree as well. So like Discord, Telegram, um, and more. All right. Well, Alan, I really appreciate you coming out here and chatting with us. For those listening live, this is being recorded. And so we'll get Nakamomo, my audio engineer, on it. And we'll get this out later this week. And also special thanks to Chavis and Kath for doing the marketing image. And Alan, really looking forward to this partnership between the Index Co-op and Beta. And uh, appreciate you coming on. Awesome. Thanks, CryptoTexan. Absolutely. All right. Y'all have a great rest of your week. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.